Welcome to the Montgomery Community Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you to grow deeper in your faith. If you'd like to learn more about MCC, you can visit our website at mcc.church. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Montgomery Community Church. Uh, Thank you for braving the snow. I mean, who woke up and was like, oh, this stuff again? Like, way to start the day, huh? You know, so, but thank you for being here today. Man, I just love that we are in this series in Colossians because we are, it's really being revealing, isn't it? I mean, I don't know about you, but for me, it's like, oh, wow, God, like you're surfacing things in my life that are just Uh, Maybe that doesn't look like you. Maybe that doesn't really fall in line with like your characteristics. And so this has been really just growing for myself. And we're looking at yet another passage today that will do just that. At least that's my prayer for us today. Um, But before we dive into that, man, can we just give a round of applause for the band? That was just a great way to lead us in worship. Yes. Now see what you just did there ties into what we're talking about. You just serve the band by encouraging them, by reminding them that they did a good job. I mean, I could not imagine standing up here singing to a room full of people just kind of looking at me. Like, that would be super scary, super intimidating, and they do it week in, week out excellently. And so you just serve them, and that's what we're talking about today. In fact, that's one of the priorities of our church If you're new here today, first off, welcome. If you've been here for your entire life, you should know this by now, that serving is our posture. Serving is our posture. And it's really important to live that out because it's one thing to say you love someone, but it's an entirely different thing when you actually show them that you love them. And so we're gonna be talking about about that today in the book of Colossians, and Paul is encouraging us to do just that, to serve others and to allow serving to be our posture and to serve those around us more and more. And he does that, and he's encouraging us to do that, not because it's a good thing to do, or because it's a philanthropic thing to do, or people around you will be like, oh wow, this is a really good guy. No, he's saying we serve others because of what Christ has done for us. We serve others because of what Jesus has done for each and every one of us. And so what has Jesus done? Well, Colossians chapter one, verse six, Jesus can produce fruit in our lives. He he goes on in verse 13, he rescues us from darkness and brings us into his kingdom. Verse 14, in chapter two, verse 13, Jesus redeems us and forgives us of our sins that separate us from God. But now, because of Jesus and his spilled blood, he brings us into relationship with God, our heavenly father. Colossians chapter two, verse 10, Jesus brings fullness into our lives. Man, isn't that so good that you can be filled up with Jesus, that you can be filled up and overflowing with joy and peace and love and everything that Jesus brings into your life. And Jesus doesn't stop there. He also spiritually removes your hard heart and replaces it with one that is, that is uh, sensitive to God and leans towards God and the things of God. And then Jesus goes on that he cancels the spiritual debt in verse, uh, chapter two, verse 14, that we owe to God. So we are no longer in debt spiritually. Instead, we are freed from that debt, that spiritual sin that we were all born with and all carrying around. Jesus cancels that debt by nailing it to the cross. 
And then he goes on in chapter three, verse one, that he doesn't just cancel our debt, but he raises us with Christ to new life, that you and I can have a new life today because of what Jesus has done. And to kind of put the cherry on the top in in chapter three, verse 11, Jesus brings you into a new kingdom where everyone around you is equal in the family of God. Man, isn't that just a beautiful picture of what we've already seen Jesus doing through Colossians, how Paul is pointing back to Jesus, what, what he did, what he did on the cross. Because of what he did on the cross, we can serve those around us and, and pour our lives out for others. Man, I appreciate that Paul, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, is kind of piecing all of this together because the culture in his day, which was very different than the culture today, but we still share the same similarities. Their culture, like our culture, does not prioritize Jesus, does not prioritize the things of God, does not structure itself in the ways that glorify God or allow Jesus Jesus and his message to reign supreme in people's lives. That's not the culture that you and I live in today, nor was that the culture that Paul's original audience lived in back then. So how do we actually live like Jesus in a culture that honestly is just opposed to him? Maybe, yeah, he's a great spiritual teacher. He's a great motivational speaker. Yeah, he did, he did wonderful things back then, but really to submit my life to his will and his ways, uh, I think I'm gonna go do my own thing. That's the kind of culture we live in today, and that's the kind of culture that Paul was speaking into back then. So as followers of Jesus, who can look back and say, yes, he's called me out of darkness into his kingdom. He's raised me to newness of life in him. He's canceled my spiritual debt. As people like that who can say that, how do we actually live different than the world around us? We are called to dress differently, as Pastor Phil talked about last week. And if you haven't watched that or seen that message, please go online and watch that. We're called to prioritize things differently. We're even called to structure our lives and our families different than the culture around us. So how do we actually do that? Well, Paul answers these questions and really gets into the nitty gritty of our lives. And so it's gonna be a fun passage today uh, to really kind of poke at at things in your life. So please give me grace. Uh, Don't kill the messenger. Uh, You know, I'm just just saying what Paul's saying. So um, hopefully by God's grace. But serving others shows us in Jesus that we are intentionally trying to live like him Because when we pattern our lives after him, it looks like serving others whenever, wherever, and however. When we serve others because of what Jesus has done, we are showing not only ourselves, but Jesus himself that we are intentionally patterning our lives after him. So now before we dive into Colossians chapter three, verse 15 on to chapter four, verse one, we do have to realize that Paul was writing to a, a culture that's completely different than the culture that we live in. But there are principles that are in here that still apply to us today so that we can live in a Christ-honoring, God-glorifying way. So Paul gives us three initiatives that we should all be working toward in order to accurately reflect and advance the gospel. And when we do that, it actually advances the common good in the society that we live in. So the first initiative that Paul is inviting us to is that we can work toward unity with all our hearts. Work toward unity with all our heart. 
So leading up to today's passage, in, uh, chapter, in verse 14, we see that Paul is training his readers and us today in exactly how to live like Jesus. He invites us to fully immerse ourselves in Jesus so that we start to look like him. And Paul kind of clues us in on what Jesus looked like. He looked compassionate. He looked like he was kind. He looked humble and gentle. He looked patient with others. He looked like he was able to bear with others and forgive others. And then Paul kind of wraps all of this, like these different pieces of clothing that we should put on ourselves. He says, wrap all of that in love because love unites and brings them all together in perfect unity. So when we start to live like Jesus, we'll start to look like Jesus. And what that lifestyle should look like is prioritizing unity with those around you, the people that you worship with, the people that you live with, the people that you go to the grocery store with, the people that are cutting you off in traffic. It should look like unity wherever you go. So when you and I actually live like this, then something amazing starts to happen. That when we have love and peace and kindness and humbleness, Divisions start to diminish, and unity takes center stage. So if you and I are living like Jesus, then we actually become the answer to Jesus' prayer found in John chapter 17. John 17, 20 says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for these who will believe in me through their message. So Jesus is talking about his disciples, but now he's talking about us today, that we will believe in Jesus through their message. And all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Man, that is so good, isn't it? That when we start to live like Jesus, now Jesus didn't just save us so he could bring us into his family. No, he saved us so that he could bring us into his family so that we could be united together and to show the culture around us what unity actually looks like. This is what the early church did. In Acts chapter two, verse 43, it says, everyone was filled with awe at the many signs and wonders performed by the apostles. And he goes on, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. When you live a lifestyle of serving towards others and prioritizing them over yourself and bringing unity in the midst of diversity and in the midst of hatred and division, then God and the culture around us will see God for who he truly is. When we live in unity and strive to reflect Jesus to everyone, our culture is gonna take notice because when we live in unity, peace is produced within our lives and it flows out of our lives into our culture and into our city and into our neighbor's lives. But that takes work, doesn't it? I mean, it's one thing to talk about unity, but it's another thing to actually humble yourself and, 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 and live for unity and prioritize people and maybe keep your mouth shut when you really want to say something. Or It's really hard work, isn't it? Peace doesn't just naturally happen. You have to work toward that. But Paul says that you and I have a part to play in this. So in verse 15 of Colossians chapter three, it says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. Man, Paul is saying, you, you don't see it here in the text, but you can say, you let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts 
Paul's saying, you individually, you collectively, you as the church, you as the body of Christ, need to allow the peace of Jesus to rule in your heart and in your lives. Man, isn't that interesting? He doesn't just say, do this. Instead, he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. You have a free will. You can do whatever it is you want to do today. You can think whatever it is you want to think. But Paul is saying, you have to allow Jesus and his peace to flood your, your life, and to flood your heart, and to rule and reign supreme in your life so that unity can then be produced from that. And I just love the imagery that Paul's talking about here. And, and this peace isn't just some like calm, you know, kumbaya moment where you're just kind of everything's great and you know pie in the sky and there's no problems at all and you're just kind of floating through life. No, Paul's not talking about that kind of peace. Instead, Paul, throughout all of Colossians and really all of his writings, talks about and highlights the fact that believers have to die to themselves and their desires. And because of this, the peace that Jesus literally bought by shedding his blood can rule in our lives. So no, this isn't just a peaceful, like tranquil, this just happens to me. No, it's, this is peace that we have to initiate and fight for and prioritize in all of our lives. And one commentary, uh, commentator, uh, D.R. Brown, says that the peace, the peace made by Jesus' death is to dwell in the community formed by his death and his resurrection. So this type of peace isn't just some like hunky-dory. Instead, it's like Jesus bought this peace for each and every one of us. Therefore, the peace that Jesus purchased for you and for me by allowing his blood to flow from his veins should then flow out of your life into the lives of those around you, restoring relationships. This type of peace should be tearing down racism around you. This type of peace should be ending sexism and objectification. This type of peace should flow out of your life and, and uh, into people who are basically enemies and turning them from enemies into uh, friends and then from friends into family members. This type of peace should, should flood our culture and flow out of our culture and transform it because this type of peace transforms your life. And that's really hard work, but it's not all up to you. It's not all up to you. When Jesus left this earth, he said, I'm leaving someone behind. I'm gonna go away, but I'm leaving someone here. And that's the Holy Spirit, the comforter that can come alongside of you and help you and grow you. And this person can also rule in your life. Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule. Man, that's a really interesting word, isn't it? This word that Paul uses is basically the image of an umpire. So, you know, you're, you're, you're playing baseball or whatever, you're, you're standing there, there's the catcher right here. I'm not gonna bend down because my knees are, 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 you know, a little old now. Um, and then there's the ump behind him and he's calling balls and strikes. You know, you, you guys know what an umpire is. And so, but this type of umpire that Paul is talking about isn't that external umpire that's calling balls and strikes of what happens to the batter. Instead, this umpire is an internal umpire that says, oh, wait, should you actually say that? Oh, should you actually go there? Oh, good job. You should say this. You should think that. You should be there. Yeah, this is the type of umpire that's in our life, and that is the peace that can rule our lives so that not only will peace happen in our lives, but peace can happen in other people's lives as well. And so 
uh, Paul's talking about how this umpire can control what's going on in your life. And James talks about this in chapter one, verse 26, where he says, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. And the reason he says that is because of what Jesus says, that you brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good for the, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of? The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So friends, do you have peace today? Are you allowing Jesus' peace to be the umpire in your life? To dictate what comes out of your life or comes out of your mouth or what, where you go and what you do or how you think? Are you allowing Jesus' peace to rule your life today? Because when you do, unity can be produced in your life. So Paul is saying that we should be working with everything we have toward unity with all of our heart. But he also goes on and says that we should work toward growing together with all of our heart. We should be working together, working uh, to, toward growing together with all of our hearts. He says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, if you're like me, you probably came to church today not necessarily to build into someone. You came to receive and to grow and hopefully tithe and go out and be a good person. I mean, that's kind of our understanding of church, isn't it? But that is not Paul's understanding of church. Instead, when you come to church, your priority should be building into those around you where you are growing together, where you are being united together in spiritual growth with one another. And Paul's, Paul is... Not, saying, yeah, let the message, but he's really commanding us to do this, to, to allow Jesus' peace to be the umpire of our lives, but also to allow the message of Christ to live inside of us and flow out of us so that we serve those around us. And this makes sense, though, because if we are going to pattern our lives after Jesus, then serving others should just be a natural outpouring of our lives. If you have love and unity and peace and humbleness just inside of you, it should flow out of you to those around you. And they should then be able to have the unity and peace and love flow into them and build their lives and start to grow and spark spiritual growth in their life. So it's really interesting that Paul is, is, is commanding the people in the church to do this. That means it's not just Pastor Phil's job to grow you spiritually. It's not just whoever's got the microphone up here to grow you spiritually. It's also your job to help the person beside you or, or on the other side of the room or watching online that you should be growing them spiritually as well. And Paul talks about how we can do this. The first way is to let the message of Christ dwell in our lives. And I'm gonna skip on to John chapter one, verse one through four, because John really highlights what Paul is talking here. He says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Well, that's kind of interesting. What does that mean? That, that word that John is using is the same word that Paul is using here in Colossians, and it's called logos. And it means that it's the person of Jesus, but also the content of what Jesus taught. 
So he goes on. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. John and Paul are talking about the same person. They're talking about Jesus Christ and his message, the gospel that can free us and that can bring us into a perfect relationship and perfect unity with God, our heavenly father, but also with one another. Because the gospel isn't just something that you accept, it's something that you live out and, 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 and impact other people around you because of the impact it has made in your life. Paul is not interested in us just intellectually knowing the gospel. He's not just interested in us intellectually, okay, yeah, I know Jesus, or I've heard about him, or I can quote some facts about him. No way, Paul is saying that the person of Jesus and the content of Jesus' message should be rooted in your life so much so that your life starts to look like Jesus' life. This is what Paul is getting at when he uses the word dwell. This word literally means to make one's home or to live or dwell in. So Paul literally talking about how Jesus could move into your house and then just take complete control and ownership of your house. But instead of it being your physical house, it's actually your body. It's actually your life. That Jesus can move into your life so much so that he just takes complete ownership of it. And, and you start to live and look like Jesus. Your thoughts become his thoughts. Your words become his words. Your actions become his actions. And your life starts to look like him. And you can say truthfully that I have surrendered and submitted to him. And I am no longer in control of my life, but he is. His methods and his message are so deeply rooted in my life that Jesus is in full control of everything in my life. And that's my prayer today. And I have a long way to get there. And I hope that's your prayer today too. That Jesus, you can move into my life today. You, I'm giving you the keys to my life. You can do whatever you want. You want to change the color of the walls? Be my guest. You want to change the curtains? Go ahead. You want to change the way I speak? Please help me. You want to change the way I actually prioritize people and love on people instead of just loving on myself and prioritizing my, my things and my agenda? Okay, help me do that. And Jesus, through his grace, will do that for each and every one of us. So Paul is saying to let the message of Christ to dwell in your heart, but also to let the peace of Christ to be the umpire of your life. Because you've put on all of these clothes, like we talked about last week, where love is the, love is the unifying factor of all of that. And then because of that, you're allowing Jesus to fill your mind and your heart and your life with who he is. And because of that, we can then serve others. We can then prioritize others with all of our heart. We can work toward prioritizing others with all of our heart because of all of this stuff that Jesus has done for us and is doing in us and through us. So Paul's been talking about how we can live like Jesus with those around us, but then he shifts gears like pretty dr drastically, doesn't he? And starts talking about how we can actually live like Jesus with our own family members. And I think that's so important because when I'm at home, my wife, Heather, she sees the real me. She sees, you know, all the warts, all the scars, all the hurt, all the anger, you know, whatever it is that's going on in my life, she sees that. 
you know, so please pray for my wife. Um, you know, she sees when I smack my head on, on a beam in the basement and things come out of my mouth that aren't God glorifying, you know? It's so she sees all of that. And so Paul shifts his attention from the church, the family of God, to your actual family, to the people you actually live with. And he does this, according to one writer, because the church and the family together, these represent the two most important social settings where believers can show the transformative power of the gospel. The transformative power. It's like, man, your spouse or your kids or whoever it is that you live with, they see it in your life. Like, man, you're no longer the same person you used to be. Or wow, you're really able to manage all of that stress, not because you're awesome, but because of what Jesus is doing in your life. And the peace of Christ is ruling in your life. And you're able to manage whatever's going on in your life, not because of you, but because of Jesus working inside of you. And so Paul talks about how we can actually reflect the message of Christ and the peace of Christ and this love and unity towards those that we live with. He says in verse 18, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, in everything, and do it not to only, not only when they, when their eye is on you to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven." Now that can be really hard to digest. It might even be triggering for some. But the same Paul that wrote these words also wrote these words in Colossians where he says in verse 11, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is in all and is in all. But Christ is all and is in all. And then in Galatians chapter three, verse 28, Paul says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all in, all one in Christ Jesus. So Paul's words and instructions on how to live out the new life that Jesus gives us is totally revolutionary for the culture in his day, and maybe for some people today. His words in Colossians chapter three and four and in Galatians chapter three lays the foundation for which tribalism and nationalism, racism and sexism and a whole bunch of other isms and slavery could eventually be torn down. But when we read wives submit and husbands love or children obey or fathers don't provoke or slaves obey and masters do what's right, we can think that Paul's being really oppressive here. Or that, uh, you know, these, kind of, these are like old school rules that don't really apply to us in the 21st century. And let's be really honest. The church hasn't always gotten this right. 
The church has used this word to oppress women. The church has used this, this, these words to prop up slavery. But that is not what Paul is doing here at all. Paul is saying because of what Jesus has done, your relationships in the home and whatever relationship you find yourself in can be so freeing, so loving, so unifying that you are prioritizing others over yourself. And in that relationship, you are actually glorifying Jesus. Because when you actually live this out and you allow the gospel to take root in your life, that means that your relationships should have more freedom. That means that your relationships should have more love and more health in your life. When you live out this new life that Jesus purchased for you and is giving you, then the emotional health in your relationship should increase. Our relationship and our relational well-being will improve. Our family relationships will be healthier and more stable. And the peace that's within us and in our families will grow because Jesus' love will be at the center of our family, making mutual relational serving natural and desirable. So let's look at exactly what Paul is talking here because it's pretty revolutionary. First off, Paul is talking to wives children and slaves first before he talks to husbands, fathers, and masters. So by doing that, he is elevating and prioritizing marginalized people groups in his culture. He's saying that you are more important than the second person I'm gonna talk to, that you are so important that I'm gonna prioritize your needs and who you are above the other people who normally are prioritized in our culture. And so Paul talks to wives and he says, he addresses them first and prioritizes their needs. And he says to submit to your husbands. And what Paul is doing here is inviting women and wives to voluntarily yield to their husband when the husband is loving them the way that Jesus modeled for them. When your husband is sacrificing of himself and loving you the way that Jesus does, then wives, you should submit and voluntarily yield to your husband. I, I'm Obviously, I'm not a wife, but if my spouse was self-sacrificially loving me, that would kind of be a no-brainer. Like, sure, I'm gonna, I'm gonna yield to you. I'm gonna follow you. I'm gonna, we're a team here. We're working together. Yeah, I get that. And then Paul talks about children. Children, uh, back in those days, were basically seen and not heard. And Paul is addressing them. And he says to obey, which literally means to follow instructions. So isn't that interesting? He's telling wives to voluntarily yield to their spouse, but he's telling children to follow the instructions that are given to them. It's kind of like when you go to Ikea and you buy a dresser and you come home and it's like, how do you build this? There's instructions with little, little people, you know, and it's like, how do you do this? But you better follow those instructions because if not, that dresser is not gonna survive the lifetime that, that you want it to. I mean, if you move it from one city to one state, that, that dresser is not going to be sturdy or, or at all. Instead, you need to follow the instructions. And that's what Paul is talking about because he wants children's lives to be stable and rooted in Jesus so that they can bear the weight of what life has in store for them. Then he talks about slaves. And now, Pastor Phil addressed this a couple of weeks ago and informed us that slavery was very different than the type of slavery that existed in this country and exists in many countries to this day. And he said that basically a slave was one person who owed a debt to another. 
And they would enter into slavery and work off their debt and once again gain their freedom, which is vastly different than what we are used to here in our own country. Paul tells this group to basically do what children should do, to follow the instructions, not because there are earthly masters around, but because God in heaven is who they are actually working for. So friends, if you are a believer today and a follower of Jesus today, then you and I should actually be living just like this, where we are voluntarily yielding our lives to Jesus, where we are following the instructions that Jesus gives us so that we can live like him each and every day. And now to the second group, the the men in this passage. Secondly, Paul addresses men and commands them to live and love like Jesus. But how do we actually do that? Well, Jesus literally died for the church. He sacrificed himself so much so that he willingly submitted his life to a cross and died for each and every one of us. And so that is how you and I should be living. If you are a husband today, if you are a father today, if you are an employer today, you should be loving the people that are in your life so much so that it looks like you are dying to yourself for them. That you are dying to yourself and prioritizing them over whatever need it is that you have in your life. Paul talks about this, and I love the message translation that says, wives, understand and support your husbands by submitting to them in ways that honor the master. Husbands, catch this, go all out in love for your wives. Go all out in love for your wives. Don't take advantage of them. Children, do what your parents tell you. This delights the master to no end. Parents, don't come down too hard on your children or you'll crush their spirits. Paul is showing us that we can live like Jesus and serve others no matter what's going on in our lives, no matter where we find ourselves in our lives, no matter what season of life you are actually in. No matter what category you fall in today, Paul is encouraging you to serve others because his big idea for us today is that whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. If you are a husband today, work at it with all your heart. If you are a spouse today, work at it with all your heart. If you are wanting to help others grow around you, work at it with all your heart. Pour yourself out for those around you. God is calling us to work toward unity, to grow together, and to prioritize others. So how do we actually do that? How do we actually do that? Well, it could look like today as you're leaving the service today to just encourage someone. Just say, hey, you look really good and I'm praying for you. Or, yeah, hey, you know, I just want to encourage you that you just fully submit your life to Christ or you allow the peace of Jesus to reign in your life. You can say those words to people as you leave today. You can also come to meet the pastors so that you can learn how you can start growing here at MCC so that you can become more and more like Jesus. How do you actually do this and live this out in your family? Well, maybe ask yourself this question. What would elevate, empower, or support my family members today? And then once you get that answer, go do it. Make that your prayer. How can I serve my spouse today? How can I serve my children today? How can I serve those around me today? 
And then lastly, how can I serve those, my neighbors and my community? Well, we talked about it. Go out, go out here and grab an Easter basket. Go and invite your neighbors, even if you don't even know them. You know they've got kids. Just leave that basket on their porch and walk away and pray that, hey, God, you just speak to them and you grow them and they come to this and experience you in a fresh new way that might open their eyes to who you truly are. Whatever it is that you do, serve and do it with all your heart. So let's ask God to encourage us and equip us to do that just just now. Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you for today. We thank you for who you are and for the instructions and the guidance that you give each and every one of us. Jesus, we ask that, God, we just ask that you will reign supreme in our lives. That your peace will rule in each and every one of us today. That you will be the umpire of my life that I will fully surrender to you, that I will submit and voluntarily yield to you. Jesus, we ask that your message and your methods will just flood our lives so much so that you are living inside of us and that our actions and who we are, that our daily lives will look like yours, where humbleness is reigning supreme where compassion is just our posture, where we have love that is just working toward unity with those around us in a culture that is so deeply divided. God, we invite you in. We invite you into each and every one of our lives. We invite you into our thoughts. We invite you into our speech. We invite you into our actions. Whatever it is that you want to do in our lives, we submit to that. We allow you to have your way in all of our lives today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can stay connected throughout the week by following Montgomery Community Church on Facebook and Instagram. For more information about MCC, visit our website at mcc.church.